Hey everybody, my name is Michael and welcome to the Try Faster podcast presented by the Fort Worth Tri Club. We dive into triathlon specific uh, training, coaching, and discuss triathlon news and races. Today we have some pretty fun topics lined up. Uh, we're going to be diving into tech that we have used in training, um, that we want to use, uh, or that we used in the past and no longer use. We're going to be giving you our perspective here. When I say our perspective, uh, my name again, Michael Mansfield, I'm a age group triathlete, uh, and I'm joined here by my coach, Keith Kotar. Hey, Keith. Hey, Michael. Um, so you're going to get two perspectives here, one from a coach and also former professional triathlon or triathlete, uh, and then also kind of from the, the age grouper perspective. We have a really cool question to talk about as well, which is what is our top um, bucket list races and or endurance events that we each kind of want to pursue at some point. Um, but as always, like we like we do most of the time with these podcasts, we want to jump into some of our training updates first. So, how's everything going on your end, Keith? It's pretty good. We're uh, it's it's warm down here. We've had some ninety degree days already, and so training's been pretty good um, and consistent for me, which is nice. Um, after a long time of not having consistent training for a few years, the last few months have been pretty good. Uh, we had uh, one of our first open, I think it was the first local open water swim race last weekend. And, um, I got second behind one of the local pros. Uh, it was a very distant second, but, um, it was a good day and, um, making some progress in, in all three sports right now. Swimming is coming along pretty well. And, um, yeah, just had a good race. I was, it was a pretty small race. So I was close to the front out of the water and, and, um, I was up up by about mile nine, I was the first age group around the course. So I kind of was able to dial it back after that and be comfortable the rest of the way. So, um, it was fun. And, uh, our young guys went, uh, two, three, four, five, six overall in the sprint try. So that was pretty fun. And, uh, my assistant coach, she won the, uh, the Olympic distance. And then another guy that is on our team, he was the next one behind me in the Olympic distance too. So it was a pretty good day. And, and one of our young girls, she won the sprint overall. So, yeah. Is, was there any division you, you didn't compete in? <laughs> uh, we, we, had, we had a good day. Yeah. It was, yeah, we were awesome. pretty deep. <laughs> yeah. Congrats to, to all the Fort Worth Tri Club members out there. Um, sounds like, sounds like you did a really awesome performance. And, um, Keith, we're pretty far away up here in Illinois from actually being able to train outside on a regular basis. I think I spoke a couple podcasts ago about wanting to get outside and, and do a gravel race that didn't come to fruition because of snow. Uh, and I would say we're probably still like 45 plus days away from being able to swim outside. Um, we've had significant rain over the last couple of weeks. So even running on the, the river trail by my house, that goes for, I mean, 40, 50 plus miles. There's no way I can get out there because it's just flooded. So, um, even though the weather is starting to get a little bit warmer outside, the training is, is still very much, uh, I'm kept to, to being inside, but overall I'd say, you know, when I look back at the last four weeks, I feel like things have been going really well as I've been giving you updates. Um, but I failed to work out this week. And I think that was probably the first one in a long time. Um, so Keith, you gave me a workout and it was 1k efforts cutting down from four minutes per K down to three thirty per K. Uh, and it was those last two where I really struggled. And I think there's like a combination of factors that led to it. Um, one, it was a pretty short rest interval, 90 seconds, but 
Um, probably more importantly is work wise. I've been doing a lot more traveling and every time I come back from a trip traveling wise, I feel either like I just have low energy. Um, and I don't know if it's like, Hey, part of it could just be mental. Cause I'm starting to tell myself, Hey, if I, when I get back from a trip for work, I have low energy. So some of it could be this self-fulfilling mindset that I have. Um, and then the second part of it is, you know, Hey, that, that translates into the run where I'm on the treadmill. I'm trying to complete these workouts and, it, and it's an excuse for me. So I wasn't able to complete the last two intervals as planned, um, and just build on the workout. I think it's like the first failed workout necessary, probably in the last th four weeks or so. So, so I don't beat myself up too much about it, but it's a bummer. I don't know. What do you tell your athletes when they have like a, when they have a failed workout, do you take it seriously? Do we move on? Like usually what's the right approach? Usually we just like to try to move on. If, if it's a, if it's a regular occurrence, then there's probably something underlying that we've got to think about, but you know, it happens and, and that's okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's good to hear. That's kind of like my, that's what I try to tell myself as well, but it really, it stings in the moment. Um, and if you're training for something, there's no way that you can go an entire training program even something short, like three months, probably without a failed workout. So, um, obviously having been in triathlon and doing endurance sports for quite a while, I'm familiar with it, but it still stings. It, it stinks, especially cause like in my head, I'm telling myself these last two reps, this is where it's at. This is where it's at. And I'm just doing it. And I felt like that RPE for that effort was, was like a 10 when it should have been an eight and a half or a nine. And that, that, that disconnect was probably the hardest piece to, to get over. Yeah. But, but pushing through it, um, yeah, give me that good. workout next week. I want to do it. Okay. I think I can, yeah, we'll I don't have travel next week. So like, I want to, I, I want another crack at that one. That'll definitely help with confidence. Yeah. And you're getting ready for a half marathon in a couple of weeks. Yes. Hopefully. Um, that's it's on the, the planned schedule. Um, so yeah, that's one reason I want to get that workout in because i think it would be a really good one because the paces across the board are pretty quick faster than what i'd be targeting in a half marathon um but yeah it's not i haven't signed up for it yet we still have to kind of see how the schedule works out between now um my son's birthday we have some travel coming up i'll see you in jamaica a couple weeks after the start of may or one week after the start of may so yes life's getting busy yeah and and maybe uh the, the bachelor party for that, that said wedding is next weekend. And maybe you can come down for a training camp. <laughs> <laughs> is that what, is that what the bachelor party is a bachelor party training camp? I wish I'm, I'm not, I'm not planning it. I'm the, the first uh, best man to get, get the, uh, the pass on planning the bachelor party. Oh, awesome. Well, that's because if, if you planned it, we know what it would look like. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's, let's dive right. into things. Uh, the main focus for, for today's podcast, Keith, is to kind of give everyone an update on what we've used, haven't used, want to use, uh, in kind of the, and I say air quotes here, tech space of swimming, biking, and running. There's a lot of different things that we're going to talk about. We're only going to hit on them briefly, nothing necessarily like a full review. Um, but I'm interested in, I'm, really am interested in hearing your take on a, a couple of these things I haven't used myself. Um, and if you found them valuable, which was maybe we'll kind of take this sequentially, like a triathlon, we'll start with the swim. Um, and from a swim perspective, I don't really myself use any tech 
Um, I have a watch, I guess that that's timing me. I have a pull buoy and some paddles and just ordinary goggles. But Keith, you've, you've recently been using something pretty new. Tell us what are you using on the swim side? Yeah. So, uh, one of the guys on our team, uh, recently gave me a pair of form goggles and they're the, the smart goggles that are, uh, you can see your time and your distance inside the lens. And it's, it's pretty cool. Um, it knows when you turn, um, there's a sensor inside that can tell when the, you, when the force is applied and how fast you're going. And so it gets a, um, it's able to tell when you turn based off your push off the wall, uh, when you slow down. Um, and so it's pretty customizable. There's an app that goes along with it. There's a form app. And after your swim is done, it, um, uploads straight into the app, just like Garmin or training peaks or anything like that. And it gives you pretty detailed splits. It gives you the, the split for every single length that you swam. Um, for the most part, I'd say it's 95% accurate on telling you what stroke you're swimming. Um, it can tell if you're doing drills as opposed to normal swimming based on, you know, what you're doing in the water. Um, if you're kicking, so it's pretty cool, uh, from that perspective, um, that for me, you know, I, it's nice to be able to see the split as I'm swimming. I think it'll, it'll kind of help me push, you know, kind of like when you're running on the track, right. If you're taking a split every 200 or 400 and you can kind of push yourself to keep that pace. Um, so far that's been pretty cool in the swim to see that time and hit the wall and, and know exactly where you are. Um, I think one of the coolest things that I haven't quite fully uh, figured out yet is there is a, so there's a couple delays that go on. And I think this is part of me just having, I have to get used to swimming with it. But when you push off the wall, obviously there's a little bit of a delay while it figures out that you just like, if you start a new interval, um, there's a little bit of a delay and then it'll pick up around three or four seconds. And I guess it's, it's able to pinpoint the time when you pushed off. And so from what I've seen so far is that 25s, if you're swimming maybe 25s and 50s, it might not be super accurate because you're probably looking at, you know, a 25, you can easily kind of be off by half a second and it's a, that's a big chunk. Um, but looking at longer than that, it seems to be pretty good. Um, I've also noticed that if I'm coming into the wall and I'm kind of, you know, half a stroke away and I decide to not take the extra stroke, and I just kind of glide into the wall that sometimes it'll make my interval faster because it thinks I stopped swimming earlier. Um, and so there's a little, there's a couple little things like that. Um, and so, uh, I think to improve the accuracy, I'm trying to like finish all my intervals and, and hit the wall. Like I would be, you know, in a race, something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but so far it's pretty neat and yeah, it's nice. It takes away any button pushing, um, you know, I, I know a lot of the athletes that I work with, I try to tell them, you know, if we're doing like 10, one hundreds, don't push your watch 20 times, you know, just push it one time and then use that, like use your watch, like a pace clock. Uh, but I still have a lot of athletes that they'll push their watch every time, even if they're swimming 25, so they'll push it at the start and push it at the end. And, um, the form goggles are pretty nice. Cause it just knows when you start, it knows when you're resting. Um, and so that's pretty neat. It's handy. Yeah. I'm a button pusher Yeah, myself. I like, I like to kind of hit the button, which kind of would defeat the purpose or provide that same inaccuracy, right? Like how, where are you hitting the button? Are you finishing through with it? Right. Or are you, you know, bringing your hand up and hitting it right, right before your hands hitting the wall. So the, right. so the same inaccuracies might be there with a watch with button pushers. 
and yeah. with the form goggles. So that's pretty interesting. The other thing that kind of makes me think like, and I'm only like a mediocre to maybe even not quite a mediocre swimmer, but, um, so I've got a lot to learn on that side of things is, you know, the one thing you hear from really good swimmers is that you just need to relax in the water. So like you made the point like, Hey, Hey, I'm, I need to be swimming 130 right now. And the form goggles tell you 135 and you start pushing the pace that might not always be the right thing to do, but that might give you the visual and encourage you to do that. Right. So can you like, can you yeah. turn it off the visual if you want to, and you just want to swim for feel, uh, and then check in every once in a while, or is that visual always there in the form goggles? I don't know. I'll have to check that out. I think it's always there. Yeah. Uh, but maybe you could, you can adjust your data field so that it doesn't mm -hmm. show you the time. Yeah. If you wanted to do that. So that's probably the way to, to work around it. Um, one of the other defaults is that it shows you your stroke rate. So I have it set so that it's the interval time. It shows you two splits, one on top and one on the bottom. And it's the interval time on top and it's your stroke rate on the bottom. And it's interesting to look at the stroke rate and kind of get a feel for how fast I'm actually turning my arms over, yeah. which is, which is really interesting. Um, and then, uh, there was one more thing that, that had kind of sparked in my mind about it, but I don't know. It's not coming to me now. So that's, that's all right. That's all right. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's then jump to the, to the bike. If it comes back to you, we, we can come, we yeah. can circle back, but on the bike, yeah. there's a whole lot more to talk about. So let's and start if, with the, yeah. Ahead. One note about the swim gear. If you're, I think we'll have an episode <laughs> dedicated to swimming at some point. And so if you're wondering, why did we not talk about paddles and fins and stuff like that? We'll, we'll have a swim gear as opposed to tech episode. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so keeping things tech on the bike side, most obvious one to, to chat about is the power meter. Um, and I'm someone that didn't use a power meter for sort of like seven, eight years of being in the sport of triathlon and cycling. Uh, so I certainly know that it's not the only way to train. But if I look at all the tech that we're going to talk about, it's probably the most impactful one to your training. And I use currently, I have the vector pedals for my road and my tri bike. Uh, and then my gravel bike actually got a stages left crank arm power meter on that. And it's just crazy. Like when I bought the, I have the vector threes, they're like a thousand dollars. I don't know. They're probably five years, four or five years old at this point. Um, but now I got a stages left arm power meter. Yeah. I don't have that left, right balance and I literally never use it anyway. So it's kind of pointless with the vector power meters, uh, pedal power meters. Um, but the stages is like 250 bucks. I mean, it's just crazy how cheap these things are getting. Yeah. Even so, a couple of my athletes, uh, they were able to find the vector threes on sale for like five seventy five or something like that recently. I mean, that's a, yeah. it's pretty good. But, but they are onto the fourth, the fourth iteration. So that's actually going to be my next power meter. I'm planning on getting the, it's not called the four. It's, it's got some other name, uh, the rally or the, the rally. That's it. But yeah. Yeah. You can interchange between different pedal bodies, which is cool. Um, but yeah, I think I, I kind of want to transition away from the pedal system now that we have so many cool crank arm systems and give you, a, give me a little bit more flexibility of choice of the pedal. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I think that's the switch them. Yeah. 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 But for me, I like the pedals just to switch them back and forth between a time trial bike and a road bike. And I think that's yeah. the biggest, 
advantage, but the the disadvantage is definitely you're stuck with um, the cleat. But now the, also the new ones they make them so the old vector pedals all the way through the vector three they were only look pedals, but now you can get the the new ones in Shimano, and um, you can also get the mountain bike pedal or the mountain bike cleat, and all the power is calculated inside the spindle as opposed yeah, to the pedal body. It's regardless of what pedal body you want to use, you can find a pedal based power meter, right? I mean, yeah, Speedway has the Wahoo yeah. one out that that's brand new. You can use different ones for off-road, um, uh, interchangeable pedal or pedal bodies, different things like that. You can have ones in the crank arm, left, right, both. Uh, I don't think anyone's still running anything in the rear hub anymore. Um, so no, that's, that's the only other kind of, yeah, that's the only other kind of power meter I've had. It was an old Cyclops in the, in the hub and it was only on the training wheel. So, yeah. uh, you'd end up training with power and then racing blind. And, um, you know, that was the best at the time, unless you wanted to buy two power meters or only have it in your racing wheel. Um, right. Yeah. But well, the, I, I guess the advantage to your crank based is it's probably safer you know, you're not, uh, you're less likely to take damage to your crank than your, your pedals kind of in your day-to-day -day life. I mean, just like think like it's, it's 250 bucks and I never have to switch it again. It's on there. Battery lasts a significantly long amount of time. There's not, there's nothing you have to do. It's so much easier. And the vector three is like I, when I bought them, I remember they were a thousand dollars and now you're saying like people are getting them for 500 bucks. It's awesome. If you don't have one, if there's any takeaway you have from our conversation, I would say, and you don't have, you don't have this, go out and get a, a power meter because it's probably the thing that's going to change your training the most. It's going to, it's going to allow you to benefit training the right zones and, and really make you a better athlete on the bike, which I think will translate to other areas. Yeah. And even if you don't train by the power, you know, there are a lot of athletes that train by RPE with power and then they review the power after, you know, just to have that data of what you're actually doing as opposed to how it feels is, yeah. is a big deal. Yeah. So gold star for the power meter. Um, okay. So since I do a bunch of indoor training, I also want to talk about the trainer. I used to train on a dumb trainer, like a fluid based resistance wheel on trainer and a speed and cadence sensor that would be connected to different apps. Like when I was, you know, the self coach athlete. And I think that works really well. Um, so if you're kind of thinking, Hey, I want to do more indoor training at some point in time from a trainer perspective. And then you want to do it in a budget friendly way. That's, that's the way to go. Um, you add the power meter. I think that's something everyone should have that that should be a priority for an investment. If you're going to do a bunch of indoor training this last year, I got the cycle. Well, the Saris hammer three. Um, and it was really cool to be able to have something that is a wheel off, um, trainer that adjusts its resistance while you're riding on Zwift. When you're going up a hill, it gets a little bit harder. When you're going down a hill, it gets a little bit easier. Uh, also, or if you're doing a workout and you need to hit 250 watts, 300 watts, whatever that goal is, it locks you in there. So all you have to do is just turn the pedals and it's going to take care of the resistance. It's really cool. Um, and I think it just added a little bit of extra um, interactiveness to the, to the indoor training sessions, which, which I thought was great. Not a necessity, but something that was that that I would call fun to have. What do you use for your trainer, Keith? Do you even? I still, have a, I still have a Kirk Kinetic dumb trainer, and no, yeah. I, I barely need one anymore. Um, when I was a teacher, I needed one because lots of times I'd be riding at four thirty or five a.m. Right, but 
now, um, you know, I'm able to ride outside a little bit more and, um, but yeah, I just use a, I use a dumb trainer with my power meter and yeah, I think, I think that's the one thing is, you know, for, for athletes, when you're training with a, a power, with a trainer, a smart trainer that can set the power for you, you do have to be careful with gear selection. And I think, um, being able to find the power because on race day, you still have to, to find it. So if you're on a, if you're not on a smart trainer, you know, you can, you're getting the feel of, you know, what is 200 Watts or whatever you're trying to do on race day, as opposed to just locking in and just turning the pedals over. You can, you have to think about, you know, the feel of the power. Yeah. That's something you can become a little bit lazy with. Um, something good, good point. I'm probably not the best at it once I get out onto the road myself. So, um, all right. Staying with the bike, this isn't necessarily tech, but I still want to talk about it. We're going to talk a little bit later about Oceanside. We saw Lionel Sanders riding a rim brake version of the Canyon Speed Max. So let's talk really quickly. Disc versus rim. Where do you stand? Well, mostly I'm I'm rim because I can't afford to buy a new bike. So I uh, <laughs> I've <with> <laughs> got. So uh, I'm just hoping that people continue to make uh, rim compatible components until I buy a new bike and not anytime soon my bike's pretty young still two two years old so i don't uh i don't plan to get a a disc version of a bike anytime soon yeah i think i agree with you that's the hardest part is like disc is still so new and you have people like yeah i bought a i bought my trek two years ago uh so there's no chance that i'm going to be upgrading and also the new trek is I think like it starts at like eight or nine thousand dollars. So these these new disc super bikes are coming out and they're they're just insanely expensive right now. So I think disc is the future, but for most people, rim is where it's at right now. It it would be really hard though to say, hey, if you are serious about triathlon and you want to invest more money in the bike, you want to get a new bike, now is a really hard time to answer that question because right now it's so expensive to get into disc, but if you wanted to buy a new bike today, would you buy rim? No, I think I'd have to buy disc because it's hard. I mean, one of our, one of our juniors sent me a text the other day and uh, maybe a year, year and a half ago or so he was hit by a car on his way to practice. Um, it was relatively minor. He was, he was uninjured, but it, it smashed one of his wheels and he can't find a matching wheel for the other wheel because they don't make it anymore because it's a, it was a fairly basic, um, gosh, I don't remember what brand it was, but it was, um, something like a Mavic or something really common, just a tube tubeless rim brake wheel and they don't make it anymore. <laughs> so yeah, that's the hardest part yeah. is like, would you want to invest much money into a rim system when manufacturers are running away from it? I think in the next one or two generations of bikes that hopefully disc will become more, I would say cost friendly in the triathlon space. It's already pretty cost friendly in the road space and the gravel space and in every other space, but on the triathlon bike, it's, it's really not the advantages of disc probably aren't as impactful in triathlon as the other sports, which, which maybe is the reason why triathlon is kind of lagging, which, which usually I feel like triathlon is kind of on the leading edge of, of making these types of changes, but it's lagging. Uh, and then maybe just the last point to kind of close up, Hey, why was Lionel Sanders on a rim brake version? Apparently Canyon put it, put some statement out about that. Um, so Lionel was on the rim brake of his Canyon 
Speedmax because he is preparing to use that bike in St. George with the climbing. He wanted a bike with a little, with as as little weight as possible. So um, that's the bike choice he's planning to make for St. George. And he was using it in Oceanside just to make sure he got ride time on it. So he's thinking about it from a weight perspective, um, which is pretty interesting because even though weight plays a factor, the claims of aerodynamics, right. Should have been a bigger benefit, but we have, we're seeing Lionel go with the rim brake, which is, yeah, there's there's the aerodynamics and and it's not just the aerodynamics of the brake itself, but, um, it opens you up to more wheel options too, right. You can, you can ride a wider, a wider rim. Um, and that might increase your aerodynamics there too. Um, so on my Ventum, like I have, I have a very small amount of wheel space, uh, the gap between my, um, rim and my brake is pretty small. And so, um, it would be nice to not have to worry about that and to have plenty of room in there to, uh, to work with. And so I guess that's the one big advantage of disc, uh, I agree. On my, on my truck, I ride 23 millimeter tires on a pretty wide rim. Uh, one of uh, the head, um, wide rim, I don't remember what it's called, uh, but has a, a pretty wide internal width. So those 23s get pretty big, but on both brakes, I got to have them pretty much perfectly dialed front and back to make sure that I don't have, uh, any rubbing issues. So if, yeah. if I could go bigger, I probably would 23 with that wheel. Uh, entire selection is as wide as I can go 25, 27, 28. It's like, that's probably a better option for rolling resistance and tire pressures and comfort and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah. you're right. Rim limits you. Right. And, and that's the thing now. I mean, <laughs> a lot of guys now I think are riding something like 25 in the front and then they're riding 27 or 28 in the back because the 25 yeah. is arrow in the front, but then you have better rolling resistance in the back with a 27 or 28. So there's yeah. a lot of things to think about. Yeah. If I put a 28 on the back of my truck, it would, it would just be completely stuck. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's what happened to me in, uh, in Lubbock last year. I, I had gotten a flat and then I went to the official bike shop of Ironman and they stuck a tire on my wheel that didn't fit inside my frame. Not this, they didn't put the size on that I wanted. And the, uh, I had to go to a bike shop to get a different tire stuck on there. Jeez, yeah. It was a, it was a long day. So, oh man. Yeah. You're, you're, you're known for those long days pre-race. I know. <laughs> All right. Um, let's, let's maybe transition over to the run. Now. I think we talked um, a lot on the bike. There's again, maybe not as much on the run as there is on the bike, but there's some pretty cool things that are out there right now. Uh, one that you got me using was the stride power meter. So similar to like a power meter for a bike, it's measuring the power you're putting down through your feet to the ground. Maybe I'm not, I hope I'm explaining that accurately. You could correct anything I'm not saying. Right. Um, and it's giving you a similar power meter. So how, how many Watts are you using to run, um, the new versions of the stride power meter also attempt to take in some wind calculation in there. So if there's a strong headwind, how much additional power is that going to require you to generate, to run at that particular speed. Uh, and it works indoors and out. So it's pretty cool to be able to have that type of metric on your wrist and see your power and use it potentially as like either a, a pacing strategy or B how fast am I moving at a particular power this month versus next month and the next month. Um, so I find it interesting and may maybe helpful 
from time to time more more so when running on hills so when, when we did um, when I did, I did St. George 70.3 twice last year, once for the race in May, once for the world championship. Um, I found it helpful on the Hills there. Yeah. Outside of that, I think it's just another data point, which is cool to analyze. And, and I love more data points. So, right. Yeah. And, and I like the stride and that's, that's the one thing there's a couple different brands of power meters out there, but the stride is a 3d power meter. So uh, some of them are 2d. And so the difference is that the stride can detect all of your motion in every plane. So if you've got kind of wild swinging arms, the 2D power meter might not pick that up, but the stride will pick that up. So um, the theory is that you actually know exactly how much work you're doing as far as, you know, joules of work. And so um, with the stride, for me so far, I haven't really noticed many changes in my actual threshold unless I take, you know, like an extended break from serious running. Um, but what I've noticed is that most me and not just for me, but for a lot of my athletes, like their power doesn't really change like you would expect on the bike because on the bike, it's just more power is faster, but on the run, really what we're looking for is efficiency at your power. And so I've noticed a lot of times if my threshold is about 350 Watts running that Sometimes I can run six minute miles at 300 Watts. And sometimes I can run six minute miles at 280 Watts. And then sometimes if I'm feeling really bad, I can run six minute miles at 320 Watts. And so it's not a direct correlation. Um, like it is on the bike. If you're on the same flat stretch of road on the bike and you're doing 300 Watts, um, assuming all conditions are equal, right? 300 Watts is 300 Watts and you're going to go about the same speed, but on the run, um, taking into account your form and your fatigue, uh, there's things that could break down so you're less efficient at the same power, and so it's not a it's not a direct correlation, um, and so it's really handy from from that perspective. We can kind of see if you're inefficient somewhere, and as your efficiency goes up, you know, or down, we can kind of correct things and tweak things. Um, and I like to do that with looking at biomechanics and then comparing that. Um, the other part of it is since it measures your work exactly, you can convert those joules that uh, joules of energy that you burn and convert those over to calories. And then you know exactly how many calories you're going to burn while running. Right. So if you're running a marathon and you know that this is about the power I'm going to run, and this is about the time that it's going to take me, you can figure out exactly how many calories you're going to burn over the course of that marathon and then dial in your nutrition for that. Um, and the reason we can't necessarily do that on the bike is because the bike power meters, they only know the power that you're applying to the device. And so they don't know, you know, if your upper body's swaying, if you're climbing and you're standing out of the, you're, you're up out of the saddle and you're moving the bike back and forth and your arms are working and it doesn't take into account that extra energy that you're expending elsewhere. Whereas the stride can pick up all of that energy. So you know exactly what you're putting out, uh, on the run. So it sounds like you, you're a, you're a stride fan. Is it kind of a must for runners? Do you feel? I think for I think the longer the distance, the more useful it becomes. Yeah. But what the other thing that I've noticed is it does take, um, you know, for me because it's so hard to get onto a track. <laughs> I'm not sure what it's like like up there in Illinois, but most schools really That's don't like possible. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody wants you <laughs> on their track, and so you know I don't really get to do any quality runs on the track anymore, and so. I don't want to, I also don't want to rely on my Garmin 
telling me how fast I'm going, right? Because that may or may not be accurate. And I mean, if you're running 5K pace, you know, if I'm running 310 per kilometer and I'm trying to, my Garmin says I'm running 312, like that's a big, that's a pretty big effort jump, right? And so just to get those couple seconds faster. And um, if I'm running with the stride, I've found that it, I don't have to worry about it because I know exactly what effort I'm running, right? And I know the, I know the power that I can sustain for most common race distances. And so I'm able to just run at that power and I don't have to worry about if my Garmin's right, or if I'm running up a hill or down a hill or into the wind, I can just try to run the power and, and lock in. That's probably how I should use it more because when I'm running on the river trail, my watch, which we'll let's talk about watches and that next, but my watch will give intermittent readings in terms of pace because you go under a bunch of tree cover you come out you go under a a bridge under a road you come out so your pace from your from the gps is always going to be a little bit off and it's more off on the river trail but i never really you i look at power to kind of inform hey how am i feeling but i never really i've used it much for pace except for when i'm on really hard hills and i'm like hey don't go over you know 300 watts because that that would put you in a place where you don't want to be for this race. So that's, that's really where I've used it most, but I probably should use it um, like the way you're saying, I don't yeah, know how I, fast I, I run at different. I don't know how fast I run at different powers. So that's something I'll, I'll take away from this and try to do. Yeah. It's uh, it's really interesting when you can look at all that, all that data. And, um, I mean, it's the same thing here. Like one of the, my favorite places to run, there's a lot of trees and it's kind of windy and you never really know if the pace is right, but you can just run the power and not think about yeah. it. And, yeah, it's great. Okay, cool. Well, let's talk then. Okay, kind of touches all subjects, watches, head units, things like that. I'll keep it simple. Uh, I think there's a lot, there's, you know, you have so many different options out there now. Wahoo, Hammerhead, Garmin. Um, on the on the um, unit I use on my bike, it's like a Garmin 520. No color, no maps, nothing crazy like that. It'll tell you your GPS code if you really wanted it. Um, it's not going to give you turn-by-turn directions. At least I don't think mine will. Maybe the 520 will. I don't know how to use it if it does. I just use it to show me my power, how long I'm out there, show me the basic feeds that I want on my data screen. Uh, and then on my watch, I don't even know what watch I use. It's a Garmin XT. It's like eight years old. Keith, I think we use the same one. Do you know what, what it is? is? Is it a 920? A 910? It's like, the, it's like the black and the blue one. Okay, that's a 920. Yeah. I have the 920 and I bought it so long ago, eight, at least eight years ago. Um, and it does everything I want and need it to do. There's some cool tech out there. If you're looking to get a new watch, that's really exciting. Um, but my eight-year-old watch connects to every device that I want. It works well. It has a battery that lasts well in excess of any events that I might do. And, um, you know, the only thing like, Hey, if I, if I was looking for a new watch, a new head unit, yeah. Having color, having turn by turn directions, a bigger, brighter screen. Uh, and I think, you know, they're doing watches now that have that LTE connectivity. So if you're doing like a big race or something like that, someone could text you and say, Hey, keep it going. Like give you that little bit of motivation and stuff. I think that's really cool. One day I I think I, I would love to use something like that, but it's just not a priority. So I keep it pretty simple on the watches and the head units. Yeah. And, and I don't have a, I don't have one for the, a, a bike computer. That's something I've thought about, you know, maybe for races, it would be nice. Um, so I'm not looking at my wrist, but, yeah, uh, I have a Garmin Phoenix five now, 
uh, I had a 920 for a long time. It was starting to get a little slow. And, uh, and so it was time to upgrade and I got a new one. Um, uh, but they're on the is Phoenix it worth 7 it? now. Yes, it was. It's, I mean, does, uh, it's, the, does the Phoenix it's five do anything that the 920 doesn't? No, it's just, it's just yeah. faster. My, my faster. 920 was starting to have problems, uh, not problems, but it was getting to the point where I had used it so much that, um, one time I wore it with the GPS on, uh, during a track meet to see how much I walked around. And it only made it about 10 and a half hours. So it was starting to, it definitely was far from the 40 hours of GPS life that it mm -hmm. uh, claimed to have back when I bought it. So, oh yeah, definitely. Mine yeah. won't do 40 hours, but I'm not doing any 10 hour races yet either. So, yeah. Um, so, uh, but I like the Phoenix. It's great. It's, it's a little quicker. Um, it's a little on the heavy side, but I don't really notice it. And, uh, yeah, it's nice. So, uh, just gotta do some it, more curls keith yeah uh, it's basically what i'm doing when i've got it on <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah it's amazing to see how far they've come i mean the first garment that i had was like a garmin 10 400 10 or 110 or something and it you couldn't manually lap you could only auto lap at 1k or one mile and uh mm -hmm. yeah now you've got all these fancy watches that connect to your phone and yeah, it's stuff. really cool. But yeah. I think the takeaway is right. We're we're both using some pretty old tech, and it does everything that the new tech does outside of the connectivity piece. So if connectivity is a priority, then the new stuff yeah. is is probably where it's at. But if yeah. you have an old watch that's working for you, yeah, keep it. The one thing um, that that mine does is it doesn't have the the LTE like you were describing, but it's able to connect to the phone enough that if someone calls or texts, you can send them like a, a set response you know there's like five or six like i'm working out or something or i'll call you later set responses and it'll text them that's back. what the 920 does and you i can do like that on the 920 yeah and the 920 never, never up and everything yeah yeah oh jeez oh, it's yeah. the same it's the same one i'm just behind <laughs> the lines. okay <laughs> i wish it wouldn't because it like gives me notifications when i'm working out like if i have my phone in my pocket like i don't need to know that person tech like i don't want it to beep and show me those yeah. things i just want it to tell me how fast i'm running so i would maybe i should turn that stuff off yeah you can turn it off that's a yeah. that's an option all right so there's a couple more things we're going to run through a little bit quicker some of them we want to use are using um or are just kind of paying attention to um so the first one i'll bring up i don't know how to call it what to call it but it's like some it's in the segment of vo2 tech there's masks out there there's all these different things to tell you what your vo2 is i think those have been talked about by a lot of different people but there's one i saw it's called the time wear shirt t-y-m-e uh, and it's a shirt that has different devices in it i won't pretend to understand exactly what's going on but you wear it when you're working out it connects to the device and, and what it reads is um, your breathing rate and heart rate and all those other things and what they're trying to figure out or the device is trying to figure out is what's your lt1 and what's your lt2 um, and it's doing that without any sort of blood draw it's just doing that based off the connected devices within the t-shirt itself i have no idea how much it costs I, I just have heard of this um it's a newer i believe it's a newer product out in the marketplace so there should be more reviews of it coming i'm interested in it just to see what the reviews say is this something that aligns well with actual blood lactate testing because if it is i don't think that i'll ever probably own a time wear shirt but it's really cool to say, hey, maybe 10 years down the road, like when power meters came out, you know, 
20, 30 years ago, it was expensive. No one used it, but maybe one day in the future, we're going to be able to actually tell what is our LT1, LT2 and train in a whole new way that most people can't today um, because of the type of devices and technology that these people are, are using and testing and, and developing. Yeah. And so a, a, uh, I just, I just looked um, in a time wear shirt. It's, they have the same setup as like whoop where they send you yeah. a shirt for free, but you have to get the membership. Oh God, that means it's expensive. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> it's uh it's $28 a month for an annual or it's 35 if they bill you monthly or it's $22 a month if you commit to a year and a half. So it's actually better than I thought it was going to be a little over $300 a year. If you're on the, on the annual, uh, that's surprisingly just, cheaper than I thought you were going to say. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if you actually use this and, you know, I don't know how you wash and it, it works, how any of that works. <laughs> yeah. But I think the question uh, is, does it work? Uh, I don't know yet. Yeah. And it'd be, it'll be fun to, to kind of follow this as it, as it grows in the, the triathlon space. Oh, and it, it definitely will. I'm sure there's triathletes out there on the cutting edge that are using this right now. So if you are, let us know how it's going. Uh, cause we would love to kind of hear your feedback on it. And especially if you wear the shirt and test it with a lactate reader, which is kind of the next thing we should talk about. Uh, so a lactate reader actually takes blood, a small drop of blood and tests your lactate gives you, gives you that number. Where are you at? Um, so you can make sure that you're training in the right intensity. Um, I don't use one. I don't think I'll ever use one. I don't, I, I think it's, you're seeing a lot of pros use it. It's expensive. Every single test, those strips are like $4 a piece. Plus you have to have the reading device for it. And I think if you're a well, a reasonably well-trained athlete, it's probably, you're probably 80 or 90% there. It's really for those upper end elite athletes that are like, Hey, 90% is not good enough. I need to be at hundred percent in the right training zones. That makes the most sense. Keith, what's yeah. your thoughts on lactate readers? Man, I, I would like to try it. And, and like you said, it's the, it's the cost of the test strips. So that's kind of the biggest limiter because the readers 250 to $300. And if that was the only cost, that would be no big deal, but it's the, it's the test strip. So if you're doing intervals on the track or something, I mean, you're, and you're going to take one after every interval, you're quickly getting up to the 15, 20 bucks for a, a workout. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, that's the, that's the hard part, but I do think the, the accuracy and there's readers out there now, like the lactate scout that can give you, um, your lactate reading in five seconds. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Just the prick and drop it in there and stick the strip in and you have a, you have a number. So um, I guess my feedback is if you're an elite athlete and you're racing for wins, go for it. If you're anything right. less than that, I don't think this stuff makes sense. And, um, training, there's probably, there's probably a hundred other things you can do to better your training. Right. And I think that there are benefits you could, you can probably dial it in if you don't want to use it on a daily basis. And that's kind of the next thing that, that I'm looking at is just getting the reader and, and being able to do testing, you know, every once in a while for athletes and kind of see if zones change or anything like that. Um, and then if we can look at, you know, their blood lactate levels and then kind of marry that to a heart rate with time, you know, can we be fairly accurate with the zones, you know, if you're in the heart rate zone, um, Make, make sure you're an LT1 or LT2 based on, on the heart rate or, you know, heart rate coupled with RPE to make right. sure we're in the right place. Yeah. But if you're one of those people that likes to go smash every workout, then this is probably what you need so you can tone it down. Yeah. Or just a heart rate yeah. monitor to again, tell you that you're going too hard. There's, there's other right. ways to go about it. It's like, if yeah. you have to go to lactate, 
I, I only think the, the only thing, the only thing this makes sense for is if you're trying to get to perfection and perfection is, is for, uh, Jan and Gustav and Lionel to figure out that's where they're at. I I'm not at their level yet, but once I get there, I'll think about a lactate reader. Yeah. Just a couple <laughs> more, a couple more years. So <laughs> How, can, can we cut that down at all? Keith? Um, uh, all right. Actually, so like, <laughs> we can't cut um, it down because you don't have a pool membership right now <laughs> i know but in like 45 or 60 more days i'll be able to swim for a couple months we'll get there yeah uh all right so another say i would say segment of devices whoop there's other sleep trackers energy you know the aura ring or whatever it's called out there i don't use any of them predominantly because i trust one one man his name's dc rainmaker um, and his reviews and he's been highly critical of all those types of devices. And like, when I go online, the only people that I can find wearing these things are people that are like getting paid by these companies to wear these things. And yes, I know there's others out there. You might be one of them. I'm sorry if you are, but I, I don't know how it's going to help my training. I haven't really seen proof that those types of devices are going to help my training. What's my body battery. I, I don't, I don't know. Can I just tell you how I feel when I wake up? I can usually tell you how I feel when I wake up. So I don't think that those things are, are worth it yet. Maybe in the future, we can better understand how heart rate variability, how our sleep, how all those things factor into our athletic performance. But I don't think it's there yet. Do you use any of this? Am I being too critical? Uh, no, actually, I don't think so. As somebody that's used one, um, you know, I... I uh, had a friend that had a, a whoop and he had upgraded to the the next version of the whoop and they had a deal, you know, if you gave it to somebody then that then he, like he got a free month and I got a couple free months with my new whoop. And so I tried it. I wore it religiously. I slept in it. Um, I even charged it with it on my body just to make sure that like I didn't miss anything. <laughs> and um, Basically, there were days that I would wake up and it would tell me that I was tired and then I would go have an amazing workout. And then there were days yeah. it would tell me that you are primed to take on a work or whatever the, the term they used was. And um, I was just out there dying, going slow. So um, because I, I think like it, it's probably accurate as far as your I think it does a pretty good job. And, and like you mentioned, like heart rate variability and, and being able to gauge from like an aerobic perspective, if you're ready, but sometimes you're just fatigued and it's maybe you just didn't sleep quite right. And the whoop couldn't pick it up, you know, or, um, maybe you did something the day before like hill sprints and right. you're really sore the next day, but technically you didn't stress your aerobic system a lot the day before. Right. And so it doesn't tell you how muscularly sore you are. You know, it doesn't know that, you know, you're kind of, um, tight and right. tired walking around. And so that's, I think that's the thing about that. That's not super accurate. So I, I uh, think like yeah. DC Rainmaker said, I don't remember what device it was, but he's like doing the dishes for 10 or 15 minutes and it thought he was running. And then he was doing a lifting workout and it didn't capture anything. It thought it, it viewed it like he was sitting on the couch. So, yeah. you know, they're getting better at tracking heart rate and energy expenditure in workout, but that's only a small part of your day and the stress that you get. I, I don't know. I hope in the future that these connected devices could be worth their while, but, but right now I, I don't see it yet. So, yeah. All right. and, and I, I had 
<clears throat> talked to a, a fairly high profile USAT coach uh, a few months ago, and he was saying that all of his athletes wear whoops, but he said they don't train by the whoop. They just use it to collect data to, you know, look at trends and things like that. So you can go back later and say, felt really good on this day. I felt really bad on this day. And then kind of go look and see, you know, what data the whoop gathered going into it, but they're not going to train based on what the yeah. whoop is telling them. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Um, but also if right. you're paying, you know, 30 bucks a month to have something track your sleep and, and I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's more expensive than the time wear shirt. I'd rather play around with some experimental technology that, you know, is on the cutting edge of things versus a tech space that is relatively filled up. Yeah. Uh, and and the fancy are. garments, the fancy garments nowadays are yeah. the, the readings I've got from trying to wear my Phoenix 24 hours a day, which that was an experiment. I don't wear my Phoenix all the time, but I wore it every day for, and slept in it and everything for a few weeks. And the data that it gave me wasn't really any different than the whoop and the Garmin doesn't charge you anything. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't think Yeah. I think, and Garmin uses the term, I think Garmin is the body, the body battery or something like that. Uh, yeah. It's like, Hey, tell me you're a triathlete. Like you're wearing like a Phoenix seven and you're cycling glasses everywhere you go and right. Tall socks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so. that's pretty funny. That's exactly what I picture you walking around all the time as. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's get to questions. Um, so okay. If anyone wants to send us questions, you can reach out to either of us on Instagram. You can find that detail in the in the notes below on whatever podcast streaming service you're listening to, or you can post something on Instagram hashtag #TryFasterPodcast. Today's question comes to us: Is what is your top bucket list races slash endurance events? So I'll go first. This is one's really exciting to me. We've kind of we definitely have two different lists. Um, <laughs> I want to do an Ironman once. I don't know if I'll do more than one, but I want to do at least one. Right now, I'm, you will do, I feel you'll do really two. good. I think I might, who knows, maybe I do a whole bunch more. But I know I really enjoy the 70.3 distance. I'm focusing, obviously, on running this year and running my first marathon. Maybe that helps open the door. Maybe I run my first marathon and it slams the door on the Ironman. I have no idea. <laughs> we'll find out. But I do think I, I'd like to run an Ironman at least once um, for the experience and how that goes. Maybe that turns into something else. Maybe that turns into two, three, four, five, uh, and maybe, maybe something else down the road. That would be really cool if I could do Kona, but that's not on the bucket list yet. Um, I want to do rim to rim to rim. So for those of you that don't know what rim to rim to rim is, it is running from the South of the grand Canyon down into the Canyon itself, uh, across and then up the North rim of the grand Canyon that's rim to rim and then running all the way back in total. It's about, I think it's like 45 to 50 miles somewhere in there, depending upon which trails you use, um, and a whole bunch of elevation gain and descent. So it's going to really beat up the legs. Obviously it's an ultra endurance endurance type of run event as much as, as much as you can run, because it is extremely steep going on those trails. Um, I think it would just be incredibly, uh, incredibly cool thing to do with like, there's, there's probably nowhere in the world that you're going to have those views when you're running. Um, but there's nothing that's going to compare to that. And I say that because a year ago I was at the grand Canyon and I was just amazed, um, at, at the landscape, what you saw. So I think it would be really fun. It would be really cool. And then 
Lastly, I have a Belgian waffle ride race, mostly because I'm really having a bunch of fun on the gravel bike lately. And uh, I want to get out there and do one of those big type of long epic rides. I think like those are just ones like if it fits in your schedule, yeah, they're long. Yeah, there's a bunch of climbing and um, all that, but it's a, they seem like really cool events, really cool atmospheres, 100 plus miles of on, on gravel. Um, it seems like a really good time. So that's what's on my bucket list currently. Keith, what's yeah, on yours? You're right. Ours are, ours are a lot different. Uh, I only have two that I had, I had put in our, our notes. I, I technically had three, but St. George was one of them and I was able to check it off last year. So St. George was on my list for a long time, but the, the May edition was always the same weekend as state track. So as a head track coach, that was never going to happen. Um, so then when it was finally the world championship and it wasn't on state track weekend, I was able to knock that out. So that was my first big bucket list race. And um, the other two, um, I've always wanted to do Ironman UK. And so the backstory on that is I had a, a good friend in middle school that was from England and his favorite soccer team was Bolton Wanderers. So naturally, naturally as a 12 year old that didn't have a favorite soccer team, that became my favorite soccer team from watching them with him. And so Ironman UK used to finish on the, the midfield of, of Bolton stadium. Um, it no longer does, but it still runs around the outside and it's, it's there in Bolton, England. And so that still is uh, on my bucket list of races to do. And then uh, Challenge Roth is the other one, just because mm-hmm. everyone <laughs> talks about how great it is and spectators the whole way. And it, it sounds like a lot of fun. So yeah, two, two European events. Someday I'll, I'll knock those out. I was, I was really thinking about putting a European race on my list as well. I wanted to put Roth on there, but you know, I've been to Europe what, three times and like one, it's really hard to get over there. It's a long trip. And then two, like if I'm going to go over there, there's so many things I want to do in Europe, like sightseeing, tourism wise, like it's going to, it's just going to be really hard to convince myself that I want to travel 10 plus hours and bring my bike. Like it's hard enough to take your bike two hours away, um, to, to, to then go do a race. I could definitely see my bucket list changing and Roth coming in, especially if I have a really positive experience at the Ironman distance. Um, but it's just, it's not on the list yet, but I agree with you. Everything I've seen, especially about rock look, looks really cool. And, but the UK Ironman UK, isn't that hilly? That's a tough course. That's a really tough course, isn't it? I think so. Some, there are some years, yeah. I think the men's times are kind of in like the eight twenty eight thirty 30 range. So for, yeah. for fast pro men. So yeah, I think it's a tough course. So that would, that would be a toughie. Um, Roth is always pretty quick though, even though it has some, some climbing in it. And uh, are you going to run rim to rim to rim? I don't know. I, Mar- I can't do it. I can't do it by myself. Maybe wait a few years. I don't know. That's a long <laughs> way to go. I, yeah, I, like no, to, I think it would take, it'll take many years to, to do it. I like going faster. So I don't, I'm not there yet. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe when I'm like 50, when we're a little older. 50. Well, I don't know if I'll have the knees for it when I'm 50, 45, 40, 45. All right. There it is. We got, we got I mean, some time to take care. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. All right. Um, Keith, do you have a weekly workout for us? Yeah. So, um, this is our workout. We, uh, we actually did this at the lake last night. So, um, if you're in a, and if you're in a climate where you can start to open water swim, um, we're starting to add a little bit more uh, specificity into our open water swimming. Uh, the first couple of weeks it was pretty cold and we were just trying to do what we could and get in and out. Um, but what we've done is we've got a nice little area where we have a, a dock and a beach and, um, we set up a small 
loop that was probably about 75 yards or so. And we've just been diving off the dock and then swimming that little loop and coming up into the beach. And then uh, we last night what we did was we, we warmed up a little bit and then we swam that loop one time. And then we did a double loop. So we would dive off the dock, swim into the shore, run back to the dock and dive off and do it again. And uh, we went a little bit faster Then we did a triple loop, went a little bit faster and kind of uh, consider that to be a long warm up. And then we did a triple loop, a double loop and a single loop and progressed from about 85% to 90% to 95%. It got really fast coming into the shore uh, and then stripped the wetsuit on the last one. And uh, just like you would in transition. Um, and then as the, as the summer comes along and we kind of get a little bit more specific, we've got um, another little buoy out there that makes it's 200, 200 yards away or so. So we can do some 200s and some 400s and kind of do the same, uh, the same type of thing and swim out to the buoy, come back. It'll be about a 400. And then we can do the Australian exit and jump, run to the dock and jump off and, and do it again. Uh, just to add a little bit of specificity for the multi-loop races. Um, and then of course, at that point we're, we're racing. So it's a little bit more, uh, race, race specific to get in the longer intervals at, at race pace. And so the paces will go up, the distance will go up. Um, but right now for us, it's still a little bit chilly, so it's good to kind of get in and out of the water and, and mix it up. So, uh, something to think about, um, uh, if you have a lot of people you can do it with last night, we, we put our, our junior athletes in reverse speed order and sent them off in a time trial start. Uh, with the goal that as you got past, you'd be able to jump in the draft and uh, finish as one big pack. And so that was, it was a lot of fun to get to practice some, some tactics and, that's cool. and uh, realistic open water swimming. Yeah, that, that's really cool. I will, I will try to do this workout in 45 to 60 days from now. Um, there is a nearby privately owned lake and the club like opens it up. You can get these memberships and um, they allow open water swimming and they stock the the lake with some fish and different things like that. So I am excited to get over there and do that a little bit more this year, even though I'm not going to be doing any planned triathlons right now. Um, but yeah, I love open water swimming. That's fun stuff. Yeah. And I'll be there in 45 days. So we can, uh, you can take yeah, me out there. I'll, I'll, I'll take you over me. there. Yeah. yeah. That'll be cool. <laughs> Safety first. Yep. Don't um, swim by yourself. Uh, <laughs> All right. So I think we're only going to be able to talk about Oceanside because I got to go soon. We got to keep it quick. Less than 10 minutes. You ready? Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Let's switch now to the news side of things. A week ago, we had 70.3 Oceanside, which here in North America kind of establishes, hey, the start of the season is upon us. And we talked in our last podcast in depth about what our expectations were. I'll admit First off, I was wrong on the women's side. I had Danielle Reef on the podium. You didn't. I I was shocked at you, and, and, I, and I, I wrote it down and said, hey, we're going to come back to that. Unfortunately, I was wrong. Uh, Danielle Reef not only not on the podium, she barely cracked the top 10, and then afterward was disqualified uh, because she, she went speeding through the speed control zone. Um, so unfortunate for her, but otherwise – probably the most exciting race that I've ever watched or, or really, I didn't get to see the race live, but I watched the highlights both on the men's and the women's field. So we have a lot to dig into. Which side do you want to start with first, Keith? Let's start with the women since you've kind of already given us the introduction there. Okay. Um, so on the women's side, I think the storyline for me that stuck out most, we talked about Taylor Nib 
in our podcast last time. And like, we were just trying to, it, she's kind of an unknown, right? Just being so young, this was her first time in a race on a PT bike. Um, so like, it's just hard to know what to expect out of her, but not only, not only did she lead on the swim, lead on the bike, but had the fourth fastest run, right? I think your comment was last time. You just weren't sure how quick she was going to be able to run after all that. We knew she could swim. We knew she would bike, um, the fastest in both of those, but the fourth fastest run is she, she was incredible. Yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing uh, to see that. And I mean, she had the fastest bike by more than two minutes. So it wasn't two minutes. Yeah. It wasn't like it was close. It was, she just ran away from everybody. Um, and so I think my, my pick to win, you know, I'll be honest, I forgot if I picked Paula or Ashley gentle to win, I think I picked Ashley gentle for first and Paula for second. Uh, but I mean, Paula was a minute 40 down out of the swim and then, uh, two more minutes on the bike and and she was out of it. Um, Luisa Baptista from Brazil, she ended up finishing second. And she had a really complete race also. She was in that lead group off the bike or off out of the swim um, and then had one of the top bikes and and was able to hang on on the run. And she had the second fastest run. And I think that's what we're going to see is like the people at the top of the swim really set themselves up for a good race overall. Now, Taylor Nib and her bike performance just put her leagues ahead of everybody else. And she backed it up with a really strong run. But for the most part, the top 10 of the, of the race had really good swims. Um, not entirely Jackie Herring 12th out of the water. Um, she finished fifth though. So she moved up quite a bit on the heels of a really good bike and a really good run. Uh, I think Paula Finley, I saw some of her feedback on social media afterward. Um, I was surprised that she was a minute and a half back on the swim. I think she's normally up there in that lead pack, mixing it up. But again, when you look back at what she went through a year ago, I think she's just now getting herself into race shape. So she'll, she'll be stronger as the season goes on. Um, I, I thought it was an incredibly fun race to watch though. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was very exciting. And, um, one more note about Luisa Baptista is I don't think that she's making the switch to 70.3 yet either. Just like Taylor Nib. Um, mm. they're both short course and I think that's going, going to back. be the focus. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, Louisa has raced uh, draft legal a couple times already this year. And so, you know, she was in the Olympics last year and then she's only 27. So she's probably got yeah. at least one more Olympic cycle in her, especially since it's a short Olympic cycle. So um, this is why you need to follow draft legal some more, Michael. I need to follow it. But I, but I think we're going to see Taylor Nib at 70.3 worlds then, right? I hope so. Yeah. Um, the thing that I'm, I'm not sure about is, you know, USAT can kind of dictate what races she does because she's on national team funding. And so with the grand final being in mid November, mid to late mm-hmm. November, that kind of changes things because 70.3 worlds is right in there, uh, right before right at the end of October. And so the grand final is November. Eh, it might be long enough. There's four weeks in between. So yeah. hopefully they let her race, but, um, it probably also depends on if she's in contention to win the, the overall world triathlon series championship. We'll start a petition. We want to see her out there. I want to see her. What I want to see an American woman win a world series. Yeah. So be good. <laughs> she would be a, one of the favorites with everything we've seen so far. Um, yeah. okay. Let's, let's flip over to the men 
really quickly. Um, I, I don't know where to start here. This race was explosive, right? Everyone's yeah. talking about the finish between Lionel and Rudy Von Berg. Um, so we're not going to start there and pay Jackson. We shouldn't. We need, <laughs> everyone's talked about it and, and everyone is, is skipped over the fact that Jackson Landry blew apart the run. Oh, and uh, I shouldn't say that at times looked like he was fading back from Alistair Brownlee came back, fought, 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 and fought and was able to break away from him within the last couple kilometers of the race, won the race. Yeah. Pretty impressive performance. Yeah. And if you, uh, he's one of the hosts on the the real triathlon podcast and he gave a pretty in-depth walkthrough of how the day went. And, um, you know, he's been kind of getting better. But he had a broken rib, I think, earlier this year from a bike crash just in January or February. And he had only trained for a couple of weeks before Miami. And so he hasn't really been back into full training for a very long period of time. But he was the last person to make the lead group on the bike. So the front pack out of the swim, he was 10th out mm-hmm. of the water. And he was the last one to get into that big group. And he ended up having the fastest bike split. So that tells you, you know. Um, it's non-drafting, but there is, you know, there's drafting up right. there. Yeah. So, um, he was in the back of that group. He got on and, you know, his bike split was 16 Fast. seconds faster than Lionel. So that tells you how hard Lionel is probably having to work by himself to get his, get his way back into the race. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was impressive. And. I think we all thought Alistair Browning was going to win, especially with about five K to go when he was off the front, but, um, he kind of just gapped it and stayed there. Yeah. Yeah. The gap kind of stuck at about 15 seconds or so for a while. And then, yeah, he just came back to the group and, and faded. And then we got that sprint finish between Lionel and Rudy. And, you know, I think the the interesting part will be people within one minute. It's It's incredible. Yeah, it's and and I'm I'm interested to see if Ironman changes the way that they have the finish. I mean, we don't really get photo finishes like this very often, but do we expect it to happen more often now that the yeah. fields are getting deeper? You know, yeah. they the, the they ended up they saw it coming, and the way that they split this finish was the one of the referees pulled out a cell phone and got it from the side at the finish line. But um, I think the funny thing about Ironman is you know, usually they have those kind of elaborate finish lines. Where's the actual finish? You know, right. if you're running under the big thick finish banner thing, it's, it's a couple feet deep, right? So where is the finish line? And, um, so it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see if, if Ironman kind of makes a definitive finish line, uh, for some situations like this. Yeah. I, I think I want to get Jackson credit where credit's due. We didn't, I didn't pick him in my top three. He worked hard. He earned that. And he's proven now that he should be considered in that upper tier group of athletes that can go out and win a major race. Um, so huge congrats to him. Um, I agree. The Lionel Sanders, Rudy Von Berg, how they split the tie, I'll put quote unquote, because it probably should have just been labeled a tie. Um, it's, it's pretty messed up that there's no, there's no way for them to determine who was actually in front. Um, and then awarding Lionel second and Rudy third based off of a iPhone video. That's very clearly after the finish line makes no sense. And then, and then further than that, we're, we're racing for the finish and they have 
literally 10 feet after the the finish line is a bunch of photographers. So they can't really even, they sprint through the line and then they're falling over risking injury, right? Like that, that's a major problem that they need to figure out. You, you, these cameras have zooms on them. They don't need all those photographers 10 feet on the other side of the line. It's ridiculous. So Ironman, you got to figure these things out. Alistair Brownlee coming in and just dropping from first down to fourth in the last couple of kilometers of the race. I mean, that's, that's gotta be heartbreaking for him. A uh, pretty good, pretty well executed race outside of that. I wonder what it was. Was it just pacing? Uh, what, what, I mean, he had a, the fifth fastest run, but it, he just fell off at the end. Um, I don't know if I saw any other comments or feedback from him on that. And then you made mention of Lionel, like, Hey, yeah, he, his bike split was sixth in his, in his post-race debrief. He had no nutrition on course. His bike, his bike uh, or his bottle of gels on his down tube fell off. So he didn't have that. And then he tried to pick up nutrition from on course, the Gatorade and water. And that's when he found out that the bottle cage that he had between his arrow bars was too big for the bottles that they were serving on course. So he couldn't hold it there. So at each aid station, he was drinking as much as he could grab the gel and was tossing it. Um, so he was a little bit of nutrition depleted because of his bike and equipment choices. Hopefully he can figure that out. Um, so yeah, he said he rode conservatively, but he still paced with that big group up front. So that was pretty impressive. I I think when you look at it in that context, no excuse though, you got to get your equipment figured out. Um, right. Jason West swam with the fastest people, yeah. but his bike, he couldn't yeah. hang on. He couldn't hang on right. to the surges. Cause this was a pretty hilly course, uh, or rollers. Uh, and I'm sure some of those rollers, there was a whole bunch of power and he, and he, he got the couple from the lead group and, yeah. um, finished sixth. But if he could, if he could hang on to the bike, he would, he would be in that top tier of athletes as well. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I heard some people, uh, had issues with is that there was a section of the bike course that went through some sort of military base. Yeah. And so they weren't able to preview the bike course. And yeah. I guess there were, it was a little bit technical through there. And so yeah. that front group of guys, uh, they were saying there was a lot of breaking and surging through that section because nobody really knew what was coming. Uh, so yeah, that that's interesting to know too. Uh, sure. But again, with the legal draft, if you go look at the, uh, the top eight guys, Lionel is the only one that was not a top 10 swimmer, the top eight overall. They were all yeah. in the top 10. Out all of the top, water you gotta be a better swimmer. I'm sure Lionel t- has that as a very clear takeaway. Uh, but he yeah. did it on the run with a one Oh eight 28 when he wasn't, when he was biking alone and didn't have great nutrition. So, um, obviously a Lionel fan. I hope he figures out the swim. I, I look at this race. This is, do any of these athletes compete with Jan Gustav and Christian? I don't know. Probably not. I don't think Probably so. Not. So, uh, but, but we're going to have a chance to see that here in a couple of weeks when we have the St. George world championship. So that'll be really cool to kind of look at uh, a lot of these, not all of these athletes, but a lot of them will be lining up there. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, I think that pretty much covers it. Keith, anything else you want to add? No, I think that's it. Uh, that was a good, good episode and a lot of fun. If you uh, use any of those tech or any tech that we left out, I guess let us know and we'll cover it on the next one. 
especially if you have one of those time wear shirts, that'd be pretty cool to get your feedback on. Um, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Again, you can reach out to you know, either Keith or I via social media. Instagram is probably the best way to go about it. If you have questions for us that you want us to address in the next podcast, uh, again, just post a pic, hashtag try faster podcast, and we'll pull those prior to each recording. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Thanks.